So this weekend, we're, we're spending some time speaking about adoration. Uh, we have an incredible adoration chapel. If, you, if you're not aware, it's behind this wall. There's a, a little chapel behind there where we have the confessionals as well. And was, Monsignor was giving a wonderful homily last night about how prior to 1965, Eucharistic adoration was a heavy devotion within the church. We'd have processions more than just for Corpus Christi. We'd have other Eucharistic adoration events. We have Corrier Zoo for the first Fridays here. And he said even in his time in seminary, and he went in the 80s, they didn't, he never, never, never trained on Eucharistic adoration. He never was learned how to do benediction. That's where we take the monstrance and we, we give the blessing. He said, they never taught us. In fact, several years prior to him being in seminary, it was forbidden. What? It was forbidden. <laughs> and if you, you were, if you caught praying a rosary, then you were, you were shamed and disciplined. I'm not kidding you. So sometimes we get caught up in our, in our world, in our day, and we say, this is the worst period in the church. And say, well, I don't know, 40 years ago, it seemed pretty bad too. They weren't even allowed to go to adoration. And we have 24-6 here, 24 hours a day, six days a week. We close off the chapel during Saturday afternoon until Sunday afternoon, 1.30 to 1.30, 1.30 so that we can have some traffic in there for, for, for the Sunday Masses. So we've come a long way. But there's something at the heart of the church, and John Paul says that the, the Eucharist is the source and the summit of our faith. There's something about that. That if we let it go, we can become complacent and think, well, I go to church on Sunday and that's my faith. So the title of this sermon is titled, I Know You. I Know You. Because we, we, we can say that in many different ways. You know, when we're watching a movie or maybe in our own life, when somebody says, oh, I'm going to jump, I'm going to, I'm going to do that thing, I'm be super courageous, I'm going to jump, and you're like, I know you, you're not going to do it, I know you. Or you get like the horror movie, and it's like, I know you, and you're like, woo, <laughs> can't sleep after that one. And then you get some sort of a romance, or, or at least the beloved, and you say, I, I know you, I know know you. I know you. I know you. And it can make us uncomfortable to be known by another. And we can get into the psychology of it, but if at some point I didn't feel that I was known, then when somebody tries to get close to me and tries to get to know me, I can freak out. I, have to, I, I do this sometimes and people are like, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, well, we're busy. We're doing all these things. We've got this thing going on. And I was like, no, no, no. How are you doing? Like, ooh, I don't like that question. I don't want to be known. I like to stay in the, in, the, in the facade that I've created so that I don't have to get close to somebody and allow them to know me and then I have to say, I know you. It makes me uncomfortable. And maybe I'm alone in that, yeah, maybe. But I'm guessing that maybe I'm not. That we live in, we like to have the facades. It's why through our Instagram or our Facebook or our Twitter or Snapchat or whatever, we, we post the best of us. 
But then there's that little bit of the voice within us that says, but if they really knew, but if they really knew, would they love you? I got the like, I got the thumbs up, but if they really, I got 150 of them, but if they really knew you, would they love you? What is the cost of being known? What is the cost of being known? And we do this with places too. Like when I, in the summertime, I was up and passing through the Dells and I, we drove past the Pink Flamingo Hotel, Motel, which is where we stayed when I was a kid. And I was like, I know you. Uh, I know that place. I was there all the time. Every year I'd go there. I know you. So we have this familiarity when, I, when we say I know you, we at least anticipate. And you look in the gospel and it has the same thing. It's not so much that they say it, but it's how they say it. What does John say? Teacher, we saw somebody driving out demons in your name and we said, don't do that. Should we prevent them? Because Jesus, I know you. And this is your thing. It's not their thing. I know you. Or you have the first reading where the same thing happens in the, in the book of Numbers where the spirit of prophecy comes upon Moses and upon the, the elders, except two, Eldad and Medad. And they're out, outside of the camp. And they're like, oh my gosh, guys, there's two people outside of the camp doing it. But Moses, I know you. I know you, Moses. You wouldn't want this. And Moses says, I wouldn't want this. I wish that everybody was prophesying. So sometimes we can say, I know you, but not actually know someone. And I think we get this in Christianity. I know Jesus. He's a, he, does the, he does the really cool things. He's the nice guy. Yeah, he's like, be good to people. When I ask people, well, what does Jesus say? Oh, like, be good, be nice. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Oh, just be like, just be really kind. That's who the Jesus is. Do you think Jesus would ever encourage any sort of, like, mm, pain of any way? No, not Jesus. Whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better if a great millstone were tied around his neck and thrown into the sea. Jesus is so nice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if your hand causes you to sin, just cut it off. It's okay. It's better for you to go into life maimed than to go into Gehenna with two hands. So what does this do to our notion of Jesus? I know you, Jesus. You would never say anything like that. That can't be right. I've never heard that before. If, a great, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, you should have a millstone, a giant rock tied around your neck, and you should be thrown into the sea. Because what happens? You drown. Ooh, this makes us uncomfortable. I'm just going to stop right there. No. What is he getting at? What is he getting at? He has to be getting at something. Well, I think the first thing is that we don't know him. Because we don't spend time with him. And we don't know how much he loves innocence. We don't know how much he loves you. You don't know how much he loves you. You have no idea how much he loves you. You have no idea how much he loves you. You have no idea how much he loves you. You have no idea how much he loves you. He loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. Because he loves you, he doesn't have another reason except that he loves you. But we don't spend time with him so we don't get to know the love. We don't get to know how much he loves us and so we go into the world and we think Jesus is a nice guy, I receive him on Sunday, maybe if that's really him. 
but I don't spend time with him. And if I don't spend time with him, then I don't get to know that he loves me. And so I go throughout my life thinking that I'm not loved. And I put myself up against others. I judge others because would you really want them casting out demons in your name, Lord? Because you didn't let us do it yet. So I start comparing myself to others because I have nothing else to go on except that I know him. But he loves you. But I only get to know that love if I spend time with him. And if I don't spend time with him, then I'm not going to know his love. And I will continue to think that I am unloved, unlovable, not able to be loved, not able to be comprehended. And I will spend my days in woe because I don't know that I'm loved. It's as simple as that. He loves you. When we go to adoration, it's what we do. We spend time with him. In the announcements you'll hear, we're encouraging you to, to spend time with him. To take a slot one hour a week, or, or, or if it's 15 minutes, just, just go in. Five minutes. People, as you're driving through Riverside, just pull off and spend some time in the silence with him and get to know him, how much he loves you. When you receive him in Holy Communion, instead of booking it out right away, which I say at this parish, actually, we, we do really well. Many, we, we often stay. To let him speak to you. Because it's really him. When we say the words of consecration, it's a miracle. And I know I said, said this before, but I think other people haven't heard it. I think it's bears repeating. The words that we say, this is my body. Hoc est enum corpus meum. It's the Latin phrase, hoc est enum corpus meum, this is my body. It was perverted by the Puritans, so they called it hocus pocus because they thought it was just magic. Hocus pocus, hoc est enum corpus meum, hocus pocus. It's a bastardization of that. It's a manipulation of the words. So as we come up to Halloween, we say hocus pocus, hocus pocus, we're mocking our Lord Jesus Christ, whether we know it or not. Now we know it. And they go further with that and we turn it into a song. It's not hocus pocus, it's hokey pokey. And if you remember how the priest used to be, he used to face Jesus with everybody else and he put his right hand in, he would do a blessing. And then when he turned around, he would say, the Lord be with you. And he would go back and turn himself back to the Lord. But well, we turned it into a song. You do the little dance, you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. So we turn it in because we don't know him. Because we don't know him. And if we don't know him, then we mock him. Intentionally or not. If we don't know someone, then it's easy to make fun of them. Think about when you were in high school or in grade school and you were made fun of. It's because they didn't know you. Or if you're the bully on the other side and you were making fun of people, why did you do it? Because you didn't know them. Because if we knew somebody, we don't make fun of them because we know the suffering that they're in. If I know Jesus Christ, I'm not going to mock him. I'm not going to make slide comments about him. I'm not going to joke about him. Because I know him. And we as a church, if you lead one of these little ones to sin, I mean, how many of us at our Catholic grade school, mine included, did we sing the hokey pokey? <laughs> pretty rough 
but to no fault of our own, we didn't know him. That's because we just haven't spent time with him. And the more time we spend with him, the more we'll get to know him. And the more we get to know him, the more there is to love about him. Because the more that I get to know him, the more I understand that he loves me. And the more that I know that he loves me, the more I'm able to love him in return because you only get to love with the love that you've been given. And if he is love itself, if he is infinite, incarnate love itself, then guess what I get to love him with? The same love that he gives to me, fully returned. And unlike our Protestant brothers and sisters, so many people say this, right? They say, well, they're all pretty much the same. You all believe the same thing, except that we believe in the Eucharist. (laughs) We believe, like we believe in the Eucharist. Either we're crazy and we should all be locked up, yeah? Because you're kneeling before a piece of bread if it's not Jesus. Or it is Jesus and you're kneeling before the God of the universe and he goes into your very bodies. And if he goes into your very bodies, then that love gets to go into you. And you know what it's like to be loved. It's a frighteningly vulnerable, wonderful thing. But the more I get to love him, the more I'm changed into him. Because when we love someone, we become like them. Unintentionally often. But the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we become like him. And who doesn't want that? A world of peace, joy, happiness. Everything that he promises. I know you. When, not if, but when you spend time in that chapel and you walk in, it it's, can be uncomfortable because it's in that moment that you see someone staring back at you. People say, I don't know what to do. You don't have to do anything. You can pray a rosary. You can pray another prayer book. You can read a, a, a spiritual book. You can do whatever you want. You can also just sit and look at him looking at you. And as you sit there looking at him, looking at you, what do you know? You Become aware that he's saying, I know you. He says it to you every time. I know you. And when no one else knows you, I know you. And when you think you're alone, I know you. And I love you. That's who he is. So Lord Jesus, we come to you and I ask as as your son and as your priest forgiveness for all the times that I've mocked you that I've spoken poorly about you, that I disbelieved in who you are in the Holy Eucharist, that I didn't have the confidence to defend you, that I lived in fear of it not being real. And I claim the grace that you won when you said, hocest enim corpus meum, this is my body. And in speaking that, Lord, You allowed us to be fed by you, to take away from within all fear, all hatred, all violence, so that the name of Jesus may always be on our lips, before whom every knee shall bend and every tongue confess that I, that Jesus, I am the Lord. I ask your blessing upon all those who are here today, watching this live streamed or recorded, and all those in our parish, Lord, 
that would be a parish burning with love for the Holy Eucharist, burning with love for our Savior, burning with love for you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.